0: Do, if you've got a Bible, grab one. Um, I've got a church one, which you probably haven't, but um, if you could grab Luke 22, in um, fact, Luke 23, that'd be great. Um, and we're going to have a bit of a think about those verses that Peter just read for us. Um, let me lead us in prayer as we begin, um, and then we'll work our way through. Um, one of the things that Paul writes to Um, Timothy, while Paul is in prison, in 2 Timothy, is that um, even though Paul is unable to see him, even though he can't be with him, um, Paul is encouraged and seeks to encourage Timothy because, despite their distance, he says God's word is not chained. And so let's give thanks that that's true. Um, Indeed, I've been hearing stories of um, Christians around the world who are who are testifying that God has been working mightily in and through this this crisis time. Um, when people realise, yeah, what perhaps life is about. So let's pray and give thanks that his word is not changed. Pray that it would work in our hearts and indeed work through us. Lord, thank you for that promise um, that Paul makes to Timothy to encourage him. And indeed, it encourages us that your word is not changed. Thank you that it's powerful. Um, Thank you that you can work in, through and despite all kinds of circumstances and difficulties. And we pray you'd help us to trust you. Um, help us to trust you now but Lord this may go on for a while so help us to be those who keep trusting you Um, and would you would you do um, mighty things in us and through us we pray thank you for the wonder of technology that um, as a church we can gather indeed friends can listen in as well and so we pray that um, your word would shape us in Jesus name amen Um, so we're in our next section. We've been working through Luke's gospel towards Easter. We started last week with Matt as he was teaching the children a moment ago, um, and so I will I will preach it as if it were um, that sort of timeless truth. But also, we need to have a think about our context with regards to COVID nineteen. So, as we go through, there will be a number of opportunities just to pull over and think through some of the implications of of the truth here and our context now, and how they intersect perhaps with each other. Um, I will probably be a little shorter than normal um, because it's quite hard to preach into a laptop. Um, and probably it's quite listen for you, it's quite hard for you to listen as well. Um, so the plan will be to be slightly shorter, but that's what all preachers say, isn't it? So we'll see. Um, do open Luke up for us. Um, you can see there are two halves to the passage. Um the NIV has given us headings there, but what's striking is you get um Jesus being held up, I think, in the first half, so verse 39 to 54. And he shows us something of, as he's taken on flesh, something of his humanity and weakness and vulnerability, the fear of what's coming, but also I think his control over the situation, the fact that he is resolute, that this is a plan being worked out, this is not a mistake. And so we can have a confidence there. So that's the kind of the first half, verse thirty-nine to fifty-four. But then that sits in real juxtaposition with Peter in the courtyard, verse fifty-five to sixty-two, who with just three little questions is completely undone um, lets Jesus down and disowns him and if you're a note taker and I suspect some of you might be then two two points then for the two halves on the one side you've got Jesus fearful but faithful verse 39 to 54 And then on the other side the second half Peter fearful and faithless verse 55 to 62 it's an extraordinary passage it, it's unique um, it's vital that it's one that we, we wrestle with and get to grips with and think through and think through the implications. Um, because I think it reveals both how we might react and respond to the cross in the one hand, but also I think we can take some lessons for how we deal in a crisis in hardship in the other hand. and So let's get into the text. Remember the story so far? The story so far is that Judas has agreed to betray Jesus. That was earlier in the chapter. Um, and here, sadly, you will see that come to pass. But also then that Peter will disown Jesus. So Judas betraying, Peter disowning. Verse 34 of last time, the rooster will crow. And again, here we see, sadly, that coming to pass. So that's the background. We're expecting Judas to return at some point. We're expecting Peter to to disown at another point. And both of those things collide in this passage. So first point then, Jesus, fearful but faithful, verse 39 to 54. Verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Here we are in Gethsemane. It's likely that Gethsemane was a local walled garden, a garden of olive trees, and it was, it seems, somewhere they had come before. Jesus went out as usual, it was their usual haunt perhaps, there they go. And before urging his disciples not to fall into temptation, Notice the reference to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus himself heads off to pray. And it's interesting, that, that temptation word, that testing word, is a, it's a command from Jesus. But it's interesting because in, in the midst of the context of severe testing himself for themselves, it's just around the corner. Jesus is about to face that, and so will the disciples. And so the burden of what is coming is overwhelming Jesus, which means he heads off to pray we see something of his humanity. Verse 41, he, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's, you get a glimpse into the reality of the anguish of what it was like for Jesus in the flesh and in his body, knowing the pain of what's coming, knowing the reality of the challenge, and him feeling that deeply and yet again there's a little juxtaposition isn't there he is busy praying his disciples are busy sleeping why are you sleeping he asked them get up and pray again so that you will not fall into temptation hardship is coming and the priority of Jesus for his people is prayer because he knows how we respond when hard times come isn't it isn't it striking that he wants his disciples he wants his people to pray in the midst of hardship of course this was a unique this was a unique thing in salvation history at the cross in gethsemane but actually i wonder whether it paints a bigger picture for us and what we should do in the midst of hard times it's a it's a very human thing to to do, of course, to seek to avoid discomfort or shame or pain, and to seek to do things in our own strength and say so there's something about the looming cross, even there's something about a crisis that that can lead us away from God and into temptation uh, rather than to him. What happens when hardship comes do we do we get move to him or away from him? I don't think it's too much of a stretch, but it's, it's a danger for us as we face this global crisis that we simply run into, into busy and practical mode as Christians. I'll be honest, I, I think I felt that person in these last few days, the need to do and do and do, but not enough to pray because all the emails, it's been an extraordinary week trying to whack them but they keep coming back got so much new tech to get to grips with so much amazon prime to try and get stuff ready for homeschooling so many zoom calls and organize 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 but maybe not enough pray prayer in the crisis not to fall into temptation i wonder whether that's just a reminder for us at the beginning that that in the midst of all this in the midst of busyness and getting stuff ready and organising to make sure daily that we are in prayer, recognising the reality of our own weakness and we are seeing that afresh. We are being humbled and yet the danger can be then we seek to do things in our own strength to deal with that humbling, to deal with our weakness rather than looking to him as the one who can provide. It's striking isn't it, temptation. I wonder how crises lead us into temptation. Tempted to what? Do you, do you know yourself? What temptations might be looming for you in the midst of a crisis like this? And it's worth saying there's nothing wrong with sleeping. And sleeping is really important. Sleeping is, is what we need and it's good for us. But Jesus saw very clearly his own need and his people's need to pray at this time. Prayer for them then was more important than sleep. I wonder what might this call to prayer mean for us as a church? mean for you as an individual or you as a family? What does it mean to, to pray that we will not fall into temptation in the midst of crisis? And yes, of course, the cross was a unique situation, a unique point. But I do think the truth will stretch to us. I noticed the, the answer to Jesus' prayer for himself. Did you spot that as Peter read it for us? Um, what happens when Jesus prays? Well, what happens is that God is with him. God strengthens him. Indeed, he sends angels to strengthen him. Mystery there. But he is able to strengthen us. And so look to him, pray to him and seek to um, reach out and he will strengthen us. The story moves on and suddenly we are reunited with Judas. But, but now it's not just Judas. Now, Judas has a a company with him. And to be quite frank, the the company with Judas does not look particularly friendly, uh, which is British understatement. Have a look at verse 47 and 48. While he was speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? again you've got a juxtaposition there you've got judas privileged in a crowd one of the 12 he spent the last three years with jesus and yet he is juxtaposed against a crowd of people that we're told look in verse 52 a crowd of people that that includes chief priests and officers of the temple guard and the elders who would come for him you've got a mix of religious dignitaries and temple soldiers and and judas And so from one perspective, the story in the garden is a story of treachery and a story of betrayal, but betrayal by a man who's maybe disillusioned. This Jesus whom whom I gave it all up for, what's he doing? Or, Or maybe a man who's greedy and thirsting for money. It's a story of betrayal from Judas, but then also a story of misunderstanding from the disciples, because when the crowd comes, and look what happens, verse 50, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear but jesus answered no more of this and he touched the man's ear and he healed him luke is enigmatic Um, perhaps he's being kind but we know from john's gospel verse 50 is talking about peter peter is the one who cuts the ear off and we know indeed the the servant of the high priest we know his name is malchus from john as well but Peter's always there to leap in with both feet, isn't he? Always goofing up. Maybe, maybe it's the encouragement for us. I think it certainly authenticates the account. The fact that the disciples get it wrong again, that the disciples look so stupid again. If it was a if it was the stuff of legends, it would have them getting it all right. the uh, Instagramming the part that they play getting rid of rubbing out all of their mistakes then they come out as the heroes they look amazing and yet they're weak and worldly and embarrassing even after three years in his presence they miss the point the kind of king he's come to be even after the sermon on the Plain in Luke there they are disillusioned little rabbits looking into the bright headlights of of Roman doom and it's all tumbling down before them in front of their eyes And we feel like we're there among the trees, the smell of blood, the smell of betrayal. And yet, there's more, of course, going on than that. We can be with him in the trees and we sense something of what's happening. But this is more than just soldiers in the garden, isn't it? Don't forget, friends, at the very heart of this account, you see Jesus in charge. Even here, when it looks perhaps most likely. Sorry, least likely and most out of control. Even here, when, when it seems like everything has gone wrong, there is Jesus in charge. There is Jesus working out the plans and the purposes of God. Of course, if we were around last week or you were listening into the kids slot, then you will know that Jesus knows what's going on. It's in the context of Passover. He knows he will be the true Passover lamb. Jesus is in charge. And again, it's not a difficult Line for us to draw to say that if that is true here in the garden, when it looks least likely, then maybe it's even true for us in our crisis time. And and we kind of know, we know the truth, and we're meant to say, well, of course, God's in charge, and He's sovereign, and He's good. And but that's quite easy to say, isn't it? And yet, in the midst of the reality of the mess, then we still worry. uh, And we still wrestle with that, wrestling with the reality of what we know to be true, and yet what we experience. Look at the example in the garden and you will see Jesus in charge. Or look at times gone back in your, in your life or the current situation and you think, really? Really, God? What was that all about then? What were you really doing then? So I want you to notice as we look at these verses together, there is a meaning and purpose. There are plans being accomplished. Just two little glimpses of that for now in the garden. The first is that they go to a garden that Judas knows well. Jesus could have hid, couldn't he? He could have hid, but he doesn't. He deliberately goes. He knows there's going to be this collision. He knows what's coming, and yet he goes to a place that Judas is well aware of. Perhaps even Judas would have expected him to go to. Just imagine the story Judas goes off at um, at the Last Supper, and they finish, and then Jesus says, Hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we head somewhere else for a change? I'm sick of Gethsemane. Let's go find a different garden on the other side of town. And Judas turns up to Gethsemane with all the soldiers in tow, boldly walking into an empty garden. Of course, that doesn't work. This isn't a secret garden; he knows the collision is coming, and yet he heads into it because he knows it must happen. Uh, and it, it's obvious, isn't it, but it's a garden as well. Um, if you know the story of the Bible, you will know that gardens play a really big part when it comes to God working out his plans and purposes. It all went wrong in a garden at the beginning in Genesis. That was where humanity walked out on the God of life. That was where we said we want to do it our own way. Lord, we, we don't want you in charge. We we don't trust your word. We don't want to bow to you. In fact, we want to be like you. And so from the very beginning, there was a garden and it all went wrong. Yet at the very end, there will be a garden when it is all right or at least it's a garden city, a new heavens and a new earth, described as this garden. The first garden expanded and magnified and full of people having known and experienced and enjoyed God's grace, a place of ultimate blessing. And so fittingly now in the middle, we are in another garden. It's not a place of blessing, but it's a place of betrayal. And in fact, the reality is the blessing of the final garden will only really come through the betrayal of the Gethsemane garden. To get from the first garden to the last garden, we need to come through this garden. So number one, Jesus is in charge because you see he goes to a garden that they know well. But the second one is striking. It's his response to what we know to be Peter cutting off the ear. the high priest's servant it's such a striking sentence and you see in one of them verse 50 one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear but Jesus answered no more of this and he touched the man's ear and he healed him doesn't Luke kind of recount it with such matter-of-factness we would be wow eyes bulging out of our heads did you see that? he just healed his ear what is going on but Jesus just does it he shows us something of the kind of the king that he is, something of the kind of the kingdom that he rules. It's a kingdom not of violence, but of healing. kingdom not bringing suffering, but bringing peace. Not, not an earthly political kingdom, but rather a spiritual kingdom. And he's come to wear not a golden crown, but a crown of thorns. Here we see the topsy-turvy king and his topsy-turvy kingdom. And verse 52, they come with swords and weapons. He comes to bring peace and blessing. His kingdom is not of this world. And so ominously, the king is taken away. And we move from the garden with Jesus to Peter in the courtyard. And we find second point, Peter fearful and faithless. No longer are we in the garden where the action is now. We're huddled together in the cold. Palestine at night gets very cold. We're we're keeping warm around a fire. And we know from the other Gospels that Jesus is inside with the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. We are with Peter and the soldiers and the servants in the courtyard. And of course, this is verse 34 being worked out. Just as Jesus predicted, this is Peter. Despite his protesting and him knowing better, this is Peter disowning Jesus three times and the rooster crying. Now, to be fair to Peter, he has tagged along at a distance. He's the only one who's come. The rest seem to have been hiding or gone. The sheep have been scattered. Maybe this is maybe this is Peter resolving to prove Jesus wrong to show that he he wouldn't let Jesus down. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death, he said. And so here is Peter, proving himself right. At a distance, not falling away from his leader. And there he is around the fire, keeping warm. And yet things soon really heat up because he's confronted by a servant girl. And so easily she, she undoes him. It's often the case in the Gospels, you get three. Three, three questions of Peter, three comments that just lead to three denials and him being completely undone. See the questions, verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and she said, this man was with him. And verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Then verse 59, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Three comments, three questions. Each one quickly followed by a denial from the lips of Peter. Verse 57. Woman, I don't know him. 58. Man, I am not. 60. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Bang, bang, bang. Peter broken. Peter so easily undone. Just like that. I think it's fair to say if you read Luke's gospel, you'll realise that this is This, in one sense, is the end of Peter in Luke. He hears the cock crow, he he realises what he's done, and he weeps. He was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. He wasn't ready to go to prison and to death. Big intentions, big promises, but he barely lasts a couple of hours. Sometimes I wonder if, if the equivalent is is us is me is you singing on a sunday morning we, we make promises that are easy to sing don't we yet they're much harder on a monday lord i will follow you lord i will put you first and yet when it comes down to it how easily we veer off for peter it just took a servant girl the, the desire to be accepted the desire for comfort and it broke him strikes me as you you read this account of Peter um, in the courtyard, we're meant to have some key verses from Luke's gospel resonating in our minds as we read it. Um, They come from Luke 9. Let me read them for us. Luke 9 and verse 23. They're important because they show us how the followers of Jesus need to follow Jesus. They show us what it means to be one of the people who follow Jesus. So Luke 9 verse 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you know, I'm not sure how I would have done if I was Peter. We were um, chatting recently in our home group um, of the the temptation to to keep quiet in the staff room or the temptation to to keep quiet in our places of work when people are, are dissing Christians. Perhaps Christians they know, perhaps Christians in the media, perhaps what they assume Christians believe. Now, of course, we need to be wise, but it's easy to keep quiet, isn't it? To not know quite what to say, to not know how to engage with that. I suspect we can all associate with Peter in some way. It seems to me in Luke 9 terms, he is is saving his life. He has not really denied himself. I think it's right for us to ask the question, well, in the shoes of Peter... What does this look like for me? Who are the proverbial servant girls around the fire who put us on the spot that mean we clam up? Probably some mundane situations that we might be involved in. Uh, We need to be wise but maybe it's you know you're reading your bible on the train and you kind of tuck it away because someone comes and sits next to you or there are opportunities and doors open and and yet the ability that we have to close those opportunities down because we're not quite sure what to say and we don't really want to lose friends or challenge them or or people ask what we did at the weekend and we're, we're slightly elusive about that. Or, or you're chatting to a Christian workmate or and another non-Christian comes into the collie, into the um, to the room and, and you just kind of shut the conversation down abruptly. I think a friend very helpfully calls this the the slow cooker approach of tenderizing us up bit by bit by bit we just get soft and we don't speak we don't speak when we ought yet i think it's fair to say if it is true that god's word is not changed, if it's true that maybe our current crisis is an opportunity for us to consider our witness to, to open our mouths a bit more to not put the volume down then how can we be less like Peter, more willing to speak, more willing to stand up for Jesus? You know, we've got loads more, I think loads more chatting and Skyping and Zooming going on, catching up with people maybe we've not spoken to for ages. Maybe maybe we can be bolder as we chat to people. Maybe on social media, I've even seen some of you guys um, from Alderm Road just being a bit bolder, saying actually, um, while I am afraid, and I'm afraid, then this is the hope that I have. This is what's keeping me going. I'm encouraged to see that. Maybe we ought to take the chance to think more, to speak more about what life is really about, the the reason for the hope that we have. Too often we can be like Peter around the fire and just close down. I think it's worth saying just to encourage you as well. I've taught a number of you this already, but Um, uh, a good friend at Parkrun on Saturday morning. Sadly, they shut Parkrun now for the time being. Um, Christian guy, he was saying he's had the most fruitful conversation he's ever had with a friend of his whom he's known for years and years and years. An atheist friend who's never wanted to speak of Jesus, never wanted to speak of the gospel, always closed the conversation down. Yet Now, his friend is opening the conversation up because he's fearful, because he recognises what he's built on may not be the right thing to build on. So if you're a christian let's not be coward like peter was before the servant girl but let's be sensitively bold to let people know the hope that we have to let people know that we are associated with jesus and we're not ashamed of that or embarrassed by that but we're willing to stand up and be counted if you want if you aren't a christian um i know we have a number of people who'll be um watching online perhaps you aren't part of Maldon Road you would like to find out more let me encourage you to if you know someone from Maldon Road to speak to them please but if you're not then you can find us as a church on Facebook there may be I think there'll be comments open on YouTube um, or on Twitter or something and um, find some way to get in contact with us as a church we'd love to talk to you and we'd love to tell you why we think Jesus is the most important news the most brilliant news in the world we'd love to talk to you or send you a book or help in whatever way we can. Um, So please do get in contact if that's useful for you. Um, It's worth just saying, as we kind of draw to a close, that this really is the end of the story for Peter in Luke. Uh, He, pardon the pun, he slightly Peters out from here. Um, The the problem online is that I can't hear you laughing or groaning at my awful dad jokes, but that's fine. Um, It is the end of the story in Luke for Peter, at least his last words he does head to the empty tomb in chapter 24 and slightly enigmatic he went away wondering to himself what had happened and presumably he's one of the the 11 that are left but we don't really get to find out how he's doing it's a painful finish because he ends on a very low note he ends ashamed of his master he ends weeping he ends scattered but of course that's not the end of the story for peter as we know from the Bible as a whole, you just need to read the book of Acts, you need to read the second half of Luke and you'll see that. Actually Peter would go on to append these words in a letter he wrote later in the Bible, 1 Peter 4 verse 12. I think they're very poignant in the light of our passage for this morning. Um, Dear friends don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. It's striking, isn't it? Because Jesus would go on to reinstate Peter. You can read that at the end of John's accounts jesus and and indeed peter would be the rock the leader upon which the new testament church was going to be built and yet of course peter knew what it was like to be ashamed of jesus and to let him down to weep tears of frustration and repentance he he knew what it was like to face fiery trials he knew what it was like to get it wrong and yet he knew what it was like to receive grace to be useful to go on with the Holy Spirit to spearhead God's kingdom growing on the earth. And you see, while it's good to ask ourselves, who are the servant girls? Who are those who undo us with their questions or those contexts where we're we're, um, potentially going to let Jesus down and keep quiet? The reality is, unless we step back, that question can lead us into despair, to anguish, to hopelessness. And we think God can't use us. Until we see the context and remember the first half of the passage. Because you see, it's not really about us, it's about our gracious Christ who is resolved and who is in control and in going the way of the cross so that we might be forgiven. King Jesus, who was obedient and faithful to God when we're not. King Jesus, who passes the test when we're when we're faithless, more like Peter. And so we're to look to him. He is the one who is obedient. He is the one who makes us right with our father he is the one who shows us grace and at times like this we can look to him and trust him and know even that he will use people like us let me leave us in prayer and hand back to jonathan father in heaven we do confess before you how how peter-like we can be at times how easily we keep our mouths shut when we ought not. How easily we, we don't speak out. And We say we're sorry for that. We pray that you would help us to make the most of this opportunity to, to hold out the hope that we have to those around us. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that even though he was fearful, thank you that even though he, he knew what was coming and, and was in anguish because of it, he was faithful to you, willing to go the way of the cross, willing to deny himself. Thank you for the grace that you show us in Christ. Thank you that you are kind and good. Thank you even that you, you go on and use someone like Peter who, who ran off and wept. And that you did extraordinary things in and through him in the years to come. Thank you that your grace is sufficient even for people like us. Amen.